listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Hello, and welcome to The Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White, and I'm joined here by my business partner, Carmen Perry. And today we have Chris Schmidt from the National Association of Manufacturers on the line. And uh, welcome, Chris. Hello. Thanks for having me. You know, we're really excited to be chatting with you today, Chris. Um, uh, the Senior Director of Strategic Development for for the National Association of Manufacturers, we'll just call it NAM uh, for short for the, for the rest of our chat, representing over 14,000 member manufacturers, uh, including 12 million employees, producing a combined economic impact of $2.25 trillion. And it, uh, so I guess I, I, I love when we can put those kind of numbers out there. And, and I, but I do think it, it speaks to, in some way, uh, the perspective that you're bringing to the conversation today. So uh, welcome. And, and, and Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background as well as your position at NAM? Sure. So I, uh, I do have a unique background. I'm a lawyer by trade. Uh, but came out of school and realized that something outside of the law was what really my calling was. I did the uh, JD MBA program at the same time, so I was able to to look a couple of different directions. It was 2009 when I came out of grad school, and so uh, there wasn't a great time to come out of grad school with a degree in anything, especially with a degree looking for something in business or law, and so I had to get creative. And so found a very small web agency. I was employee number four, so while counting the dog, I was employee number five. Uh, but to be able to take it from, hey, we're building some websites to really a we're going to grow this into a legitimate web agency uh, was a great way to start my professional career after grad school. And we quickly found a niche in manufacturing. It was amazing how many manufacturers in Northeast Ohio is where this was. Um, how many manufacturers were so far behind the eight ball? At this point, it was 2009. A lot of them have built a uh, level one website back in the late 90s that they hadn't touched. And so they were just starting to get into a, hey, we should focus on websites. And so uh, able to build a nice client base there. Uh, one of my clients, American Rollform Products, hired me away to come around their marketing department. So to jump from the agency to a $30 million manufacturer, two years later, I was hired away by uh, a company that was Erico at the time that was $600 million. That was ultimately purchased by Pintair, which was an $8 billion company. So to be able to ride that roller coaster from four people and a dog to 30,000 people in an $8 billion company, I uh, got to see a lot of different subsets of manufacturing along the way, which when the NAM opportunity came along, it was amazing to, uh, to be able to leverage the small and the medium and the large manufacturing back into conversations with manufacturers of all types from across the country and all kinds of industries because Having lived it on the inside, it gives me a lot of uh, uh, a lot of opportunity to talk about uh, experiences that I've had that I know that they're going through right now, and so it makes those conversations even easier to have. And there's this little illness of marketing, you know. It's like once you've uh, uh, once you've got that bug and you look at the world through that lens, you kind of uh, a, a friend of mine's fond of saying that you know a. a a pickle can't be a cucumber again. Uh, you can't uh, you can't look at uh, things except through that marketing lens sometimes. So I'm sure that carries forward in your work today. 
That's absolutely true, and it's the same uh, the same affliction that, that lawyers have. And I always get the question of what, why in the world is a lawyer in marketing? And at the end of the day, it's the same skill set. It's taking really big ideas, it's analyzing them, distilling them down into something that's digestible, and then presenting that digestible content to somebody that you want to take action. Be it a jury, be it a buyer, uh, be it someone you want to come work for you. It's all it's all the same uh, thought pattern, and so it, it never goes away. I'll tell you in the conversations I have every day. Uh, distilling uh, the big ideas down into small ones and, and being able to get people to to act upon those ideas. It's the same philosophy, whether you're marketing uh, the widgets to people around the planet or whether you're trying to get them to buy into uh, a sponsorship program at the National Association of Manufacturers. It's the same thought process. Well, it's interesting to me because the more things change, the more they stay the same. And you were talking about uh, your experience uh, as the fourth person, fifth employee at the agency. Um, uh, and that a lot of manufacturing clients at the time had very rudimentary web presence and whatnot. And, and, and frankly, fast forward nine years later, and here we are. And um, still not that different. Right? Yeah. Can we say that maybe the same thing could be said? I think that that's very true. And it's, if there's one consistent thing I've seen in working in marketing in the manufacturing sector, it's that marketing is or manufacturing is the last industry to move on uh, things related to sales and marketing. And I would say that uh, the marketing department is the last one to get the permission to move even within a manufacturer. And it's just because of the way that we've always thought about uh, marketing. Marketing uh, five years ago, 10 years ago, even today in many organizations was about, hey, I need a new catalog. Let me take new photos to put them in a new catalog. And so that mentality of, hey, we're a catalog shop. We're an outbound uh, marketing. If you want to buy us, let us know. We're going to dump all of our parts on the table. Uh, and you point to the one that you want to buy and we'll sell it to you. And what a what a backwards way to think about how to uh, how to make money, how to drive businesses and organization, as opposed to going out and talking to the customers and figuring out what do you need and how can I help connect you uh, through some great content? How can I help connect you through some innovative uh, thought leaders in the industry, through some uh, videos, through audio for doing a podcast? How can I connect you to the content you need to be prepared when it's time for you to make a decision to come to me? Is it just a mindset then that's holding them back? Do you think? I, I absolutely. I think the the biggest the biggest holdback is inertia. I mean, uh, market uh, manufacturers are uh, it's a it's a wonderful industry, and I love to work in this industry. But it is uh, we are we are perpetually slow to jump, uh, and even when we do jump, it's, it's certainly jump uh, under the mentality of I'm going to need you to bring me data. It's it's CEOs who are used to seeing operations say. I saved us $2 million by becoming 1% more efficient in this process. Uh, and as a marketer in manufacturing, you better be able to back up the new ideas and be able to back up that new, uh, that new direction you'd like to take people with the data that they're used to seeing from the other parts of the business. Well, the good news is, is there's never been a better time and, and a more uh, sophisticated tool set for being able to actually back up where those sales have come from than we have today. And it's only going to get better. How are you seeing the adoption of, of new marketing and, and, uh, and sales techniques with the manufacturers that you, that you talk to every day? Sure. It, it is a, uh, 
it's a it's a mile mile deep and a mile wide i would say with the tools and so that's something that's always the challenge if you're if you're in the stakeholder seat if you're somebody who is trying to bring marketing automation into if you're trying to bring a new marketing tool into the into this subset it's really easy to get distracted by the fact that there are thousands of options for most anything you want to do i mean with the marketing uh, technology revolution that we're going through right now it's it's amazing how many variants of ice cream there are it's the, you know you need ice cream but what flavor do you need and so so working with a great partner uh, is a great start to be able to help narrow those things down. But when you do pick a tool, you're going to need to pick a tool that you can commit to. And also that's going to prove in a relatively near term fashion uh, the results that you're looking for. And I'll tell you a story from from Pentair when I was there. Um, there was always a hesitation about doing something beyond the catalog shop. I was a driver to bring inbound uh, mentality to the organization and really think about, okay, we are going to be a content shop. We're not going to produce catalogs. We're going to produce content. And they said, well, that's never going to work. And I said, okay, here's the tools I need. I need the social media connections. I need some uh, tracking tools for us and inbound tools, HubSpot that we, we loved working with. Uh, and I'm going to need a little time. And a little time proved to be three months when we got in the middle of the night an email from somebody who was in Africa, in Tanzania, building a uh, substation for a uh, telephone uh, telephone line uh, facility. And he saw a blog that we had posted about the best kind of grounding solutions for substations. And he used that as a connection to reach out to us to say, I would really like to start doing business with you. And at the time that I left uh, Pentair a year and a half ago, that had turned into a $1.8 million sale with about $3 million behind it. All of a sudden, people didn't care how much it costs for us to be playing with Facebook because we were bringing back real dollars. Marketing before in a manufacturing company had never brought back dollars, had never brought back leads, had never brought back people who were making decisions. They were just the connection between the sales uh, arm needed pictures to show to people. And so they were the people who produced those pictures. And so changing that mentality, and I'll tell you, I, I've never been so happy to walk into a boardroom than after that sale and to be able to lay that paper on the table in front of our CEO and say, this is proof that it works. And he said, great, never asking another question, go. And everybody wants to have that. Uh, I think a, a lot of marketers uh, listening to, to you right now would say, I'd love to be able to have that meeting. And, and I feel if I could get the permission to implement what I want to do, that I could um, that I could get the results that would power that kind of a meeting. No question. Um, but the question is, how do I get um, uh, how do I get permission to start? Uh, and, and so my guess is, in your work with Pentair, that you you know there must have been a precursor to that. They uh, there had to have been a, a, somebody had to have green lighted uh, the initiative and gotten with religion, uh, shall we say. Uh, to kick things off. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in building equity within an organization uh, for you to be able to have uh, future, the, the political points to play. And for us at Pentair, it was it w had nothing to do with websites. It actually had to do with trade shows. Trade shows in the past, it was the let's take our products and nail them to boards and we'll put the boards on the wall and people can come in and point at what they want. And so it was the same mentality as the sales guy dumping out the bag on the table. And so to be able to take that and to say, we can do a brand new uh, trade show booth for the same price you're paying now. We can make it a customer-focused conversation space, and we're going to be able to create these opportunities for us to develop relationships over time, as opposed to pointing the thing on the wall you want to buy. And so the, our success in the, uh, the, the trade show world, and we were doing 125 trade shows around the world at the time, so this was, a, this was a big dollar bucket. And so to be able to say, let me use the same dollars to get you better results. 
that was something that they were comfortable with trade shows. They were comfortable with results. And we just had to connect the two things together because they never had been. But the, the equity that came out of that success allowed us to go and say, all right, well, we've proven that this works. Now let me prove to you that we don't need as many catalogs. And we need a better website. Now let me prove to you that we need to move off of this product-based marketing into this content-based marketing. And so just having the uh, picking the right battles in the front end allows you to pick the battles you want to fight on the back end. It's really interesting because as you as you were talking right there, I'm kind of there's there's like there's two things beating around in my mind, and I think in some way they well they don't disagree with each other. They're kind of knocking on the same door, maybe in some ways. I don't know, but um, one of them is that um, to your point about inertia and uh, and an unwillingness to uh, adopt. Uh, new techniques in the marketing and sales side. Um, it, it really seems to me that in an awful lot of the manufacturing marketers uh, I talk to, they, they experience an environment that's more conducive to new initiatives that support existing customers um, on, the, on the digital infrastructure side um, versus uh, new initiatives uh, to try to acquire uh, new customers. Now, on the marketing side, customer acquisition investments will tend to, to trump. But uh, on the digital infrastructure side, it seems like they're more content to, um, to, to invest in service in the existing versus uh, finding the new. Now, would you, does your experience align with that at all? Or It does. It, it's... Um... We, we always tried to divide our work between servicing the existing customers versus going and finding the new. And I will tell you that we had more luck uh, getting permission to play in the sandbox with go find new customers that we're not talking to than service customers in a different way. And the thought was, don't screw up the good thing that we have going. We have good relationships with these clients. We don't want to uh, to disrupt the flow, except very incrementally. However, there was the freedom to go, and social was a great example. It was the, the freedom to go out and say, okay, we're not using social now. Um, we're not going to use social to talk to current customers necessarily. We're going to go to use it to find people that we're not currently talking to. Um, that gave us the, the, the flexibility and the freedom to go and try something new because there wasn't the hesitation about screwing up something that was known, taking money out of the bank, if you will. Uh, and so that, uh, but the success on the new side, the success of the finding the guy in Tanzania um, allowed us to come back and say, we, we let's modify how we're having conversations with known customers. And so it, I think it, it cuts both ways, but uh, in my experience, at least, uh, marketing within a manufacturing organization is going to get more freedom to go and explore new venues than they are to, uh, to start over with something that's already known. Very interesting. I, uh, I'll be curious to, uh, I'm, I'm going to pay more attention to that now as I, uh, as I am in conversations with marketers to see if they're experiencing the same thing, if they're, if the, uh, friction that they experience internally is different, if it's around servicing new versus, uh, uh or servicing existing versus finding new. I find that that's a, there's an interesting tension there. We the other thing that was, oh, sorry, please. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I mean, we certainly saw at a recent B2B manufacturing conference people who were very concerned and in fact not even really considering the new and and simply concerned about maintaining existing relationships and and keeping those people happy in the way that they've been happy as customers for years well and transitioning those to more digital relationships understanding that the buyers are heading there yeah and it's 
it's interesting to uh, to think about also the the buy-in you have to get throughout the organization, and that's that's another thing that I would encourage people that are are moving into uh, thinking about their next generation marketing within a manufacturer is um, you you can't go it alone. And the biggest mistakes that I've ever made in my career uh, as somebody leading a marketing department uh, were directly related to the fact of I'm smart enough to get this off the ground on my own. I'm going to go and prove how great of an idea this is. It always turned out to be horrible failures. And the thing is, it didn't matter how good the idea was. It didn't matter how good I was at implementing the idea. It was the fact that I didn't have the buy-in from sales, from product management, from product development, from operations, from finance, whoever I needed on the project. My first job should have been go out and explain to everybody else the role that they're going to play in this project. And when you start with that that team-based mentality of getting everyone on board and realizing that marketing is a holistic function, it's an organizational function. It's not siloed. It's an organizational function. We're all in marketing and we all have to work together to be successful in marketing. Um, the only way that you're going to get those big projects off the ground is having that sort of buy-in from throughout the organization. You're listening to The Cooler Ring, conversations on manufacturing marketing. Don't forget to subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. That kind of leads into, you know, a point we definitely wanted to talk about with you, which is around, you know, if we're talking about having everybody engaged, what about the fact that, uh, you know, one of the things, one of the biggest challenges that we've certainly seen with manufacturers that we work with is is talent attraction and kind of bringing on people who are digitally native and understanding these kinds of things to help them kind of flesh out that team and lead the charge uh, to you know run more content oriented uh, marketing as opposed to the traditional ways. What what do you think about the challenges that manufacturers are experiencing when it comes to HR? Sure, I think uh, manufacturing across the board, not just in the marketing department, but uh, we, we're continuing to outgrow this reputation from decades past of dark, dirty, and dangerous. Right? That's that's what people think of when they think manufacturing is the why would I want to go work there? I want to go uh, I want to go work at Apple. I don't really want to go work at uh, Caterpillar. Um, well, no, if you actually go and look at those Caterpillar plans, man, they're doing some amazing things. That's that's a that's an awesome place to work. And it just takes getting over the hurdle. Manufacturing Day is something that we do nationwide, bring 300,000 uh, kids from junior highs and high schools into manufacturing plants to be able to just overcome that myth. Many of them won't go into manufacturing, but we want them to go out and be advocates for the fact that when their friends want to go into a job in manufacturing, there's an opportunity uh, that, that that's something they should support, that that's something that's that's building the future, that's innovative, that's creative. The robotics competition's going on right now. A great way to talk about uh, building engineering skills and building manufacturing skills. Um, but the, the biggest thing is, it's trying to find folks who are willing to take that leap of faith, but also treating them like they're part of that creative class that they expect to be if they were to go to an agency or where they were to go to a professional services firm. It's having a somebody to come in to work on, I'll go back to social media, to, to work on a social media plan for a manufacturer. You better be prepared to work with them as you would a social media person at an agency, as opposed to working with them as somebody who you'd hire to go and run machine six and building five. And it, the man, willingness of manufacturers to be able to, to realize it's a different skill set. It's typically a younger skill set. It's somebody that's coming maybe fresh out of school with these skills. The willingness to, um, I would say, adapt uh, culture, because as much as we talk about inertia with people, inertia with culture is a huge factor. To adapt the culture to attract that sort of new talent 
is is going to be the difference in success or failure. I really see that um, it's an interesting battle that manufacturers have in front of them because they have to overcome just the industry wide, as you said, the uh, is it dark, dirty, and dangerous? Is yep. that the the, yep. the way you described it? it? Sounds like a Pink Floyd album. Yeah. So so there's that. I mean, there's just the the, the category needs to fight that battle, and then and then of course if the marketing departments, as you say. Um, marketing and sales often the the last uh, department within the manufacturing enterprise to uh, innovate um, doesn't necessarily uh, bode well for attracting the best and brightest marketing and sales talent. Um, it's kind of like a bit of a double whammy there. So it is, but it gives you the chance. And uh, we always, uh, we, we would joke at, uh, at Erico that then was purchased by Pentair. Um, myself and a colleague of mine came in at this the same time, and it really were tasked with uh, reinvent this marketing department. Um, and so that was uh, a big mandate. But the way that we went about it, first part was, okay, we want to be the department where the cool kids work. And everybody always laughed when when we said that. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. I want to be the department where people within our organization, out of the 1,200 then that became the 30,000, I want the people in the rest of the organization to say, how soon are you going to have a job building in marketing? And how do I come be a part of your department? And so getting people on the inside to believe that uh, there was something innovative happening over in your group made it a lot easier to tell that story to people on the outside. And so a lot of the recruiting that we did were people that we found talent, we found energy, we found excitement throughout the organization. And we were able to pick off people that had different skill sets and grab them from operations and grab them from engineering and grab them from product management and say, okay, you're part of our marketing team now and we're going to build uh, build this new kind of machine. And your skills are absolutely essential to getting that machine to run. And so as opposed to trying to, to build the walls and say, we're doing our own thing, it was just the opposite. It's tear down the walls and how do we let as many people as possible participate in our projects? It, it's interesting to me. I'm going to really date myself now, but you were, uh, it reminded me, I think it was Tom Peters way back in the day um, who used to say that you're never so uh, powerful as when you're powerless in some <laughs> respects. And, yeah. You know, maybe one of the secrets, uh, you know, if you find yourself in a, in a uh, peculiar, peculiarly understaffed uh, marketing department in a manufacturer um, with some, some, some bigger ideas and a bit of a gift of uh, ability to navigate the politics of the situation, you might be able to, as a, as a marketer, find yourself being given more opportunity to do uh, more interesting things, more innovative things then you uh, may have gotten the opportunity to do uh, as a marketer were you to be in a uh, what you may have, you know, for instance, the, the proverbial Nike or Apple. Uh, pretty hard to go to Nike and Apple and get the mandate to completely revolutionize their marketing. They, they've got that kind of nailed already, by the way. But you were able to, reasonably fresh out of school, find a few opportunities with significant companies to do just that. Absolutely. And, and uh, since you mentioned uh, Nike and Apple, I mean, one of, the, one of the wild things about the environment right now is that uh, companies like Nike and like Apple want to be seen as manufacturers more than they ever have in their past. And so they are, uh, they're part of the uh, group that we are, as the NAM, working with. 
to be able to revolutionize how people think about uh, how people think about marketing and people think about manufacturing and how people think about this entire industry. Um, it's the more the more of those sort of I don't know blue chip tech companies or blue chip uh, consumer companies that you can uh, get to raise their hand and say yes, we're a manufacturer. That helps the whole industry rise, and so that's something that uh, we've certainly have uh, have enjoyed working with those sorts of companies. But uh, back to the uh, back to the other point, it, it is a an awesome opportunity uh, when you've got nothing to lose uh, to go bold in your ideas. And finding the people who are willing to let you be creative and let you grow is not only from a personal career development perspective exciting, um, but also from uh, an organization side. If you if you go in with the mentality of I'm here to solve this problem and I've got a my time frame is two to three years and if it works okay and if it doesn't work okay uh, and so not going in with the I need to focus on getting this right in 30 years from now, I'm going to stick around and see how this organization changes. Um, but much more of as a uh, as a consultant, if you will, it's a how do you go in with the mentality of I've got a limited time frame to get this thing rolling. Uh, and that that's going to free you up uh, to be able to uh, to try some new things that people that are our career folks in the marketing department may not have the opportunity to do. I think that's some some great advice. And um, as I also I, I tend to think that um, there's this other thing that's um, kind of bizarre to me in, in terms of the propensity for manufacturers to underinvest and underinnovate in the marketing and sales function. And it's that so much, and, and you guys have touched on it already, Jeff, you were mentioning earlier around the, the, the tech stack's never been more robust, the ability to do measurable marketing that meets much of the objectives as we're talking about being able to prove the, the worth of the tools and data, et cetera. And that, that obviously, we, we, it's more advanced than ever. Uh, but I, and I think we, there's that other layer that manufacturers are have been – the, the 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 innovators in terms of automation in every other aspect of the enterprise um, uh, in terms of how they uh, automate their operations um, they leave professional services firms in the dust as an example yeah. and and you can certainly automate professional services to some degree and and have systems and robust infrastructure in the background but very often you don't um, but you know, you'd never hear of a manufacturer. Uh, today, uh, that would be operating uh, the same way that they were uh, 50 years ago. But you would certainly hear of professional services firms that fundamentally operate the same way today as they do 50, did 50 years ago. So all that to say, uh, automation everywhere except marketing and sales in some way. So innovation, uh, technolo strong technology adoption, um, uh, everywhere else in the enterprise except marketing and sales. It would seem if, 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 if marketers could somehow tap into that sensitivity and existing know-how couldn't they move that forward a bit oh absolutely and 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 it's trying to change the mentality from marketing within our organization is a cost center to marketing within our organization is a revenue generator and that's the the the, the theme of what I've come back to over over 10 years in the marketplace is the if you can make that switch if you can get people to go from thinking you as a cost to a benefit as a part of the organization, you're going to have a lot of flexibility and a lot of power. And so what you're talking about uh, with uh, with operations and fixing the operations, if they do an exceptional job, they may save 10% on a process, whatever it is. All they're doing is costing a little less. 
um, they're never getting to the point of actually making money for the organization. Um, whereas in marketing, if you use automation the right way, and if you're able to find the right customers and expand the pie, as opposed to just expanding your piece of the pie, expand the pie generally for what your organization is concerned with, um, you're going to be in a position to uh, to be able to come back and drive money to the top line and not necessarily uh, have to worry about the percentage cost differential for your department. Pretty soon you start to pay for yourself. Pretty soon, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, you're revenue neutral. And that was one of the things we accomplished in, in my department before I left. It, it was it, we were making more money than it cost to employ all of us. Uh, and we could track it. We could prove it through uh, tr- through tracking tools, through inbound marketing tools. We could prove that they were actually not only not losing money on us anymore, but they were to the point now that we were making money every day when we came to work. And that changed the tenor of the conversation um, because people were able to see us as uh, somewhere, uh, somewhere that was a, a potential cash cow. And that's that sort of growth is very exciting. Because it strikes me that costs, it's it's in some way it's the, the maybe the a bit of the gulf here is that it's easier to quantify, if you will, a cost savings than it is to quantify that exponential potential that might be there on the marketing side if it's done right. Because there's there's almost like a little bit more faith that needs to be there. Whereas if you're if you're looking at a cost that already exists and you're trying to describe somebody how you're going to chip away 10% of it, well, they can see the 100% of it in front of them and then you tell them the 10% you're going to chip off and this is how you're going to do it. It's maybe a little easier to explain and a little, uh, a little bit more certainty baked into the process. So uh, you know, maybe that's it. And maybe maybe the, the lack of certainty when we're talking about it being net new revenue generation versus cost savings is part of that gulf. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? That absolutely is true. And it's trying to trying to put things back into the language that the boardroom is going to understand. I mean, the old adage in marketing is the you're always wasting 50 percent of your marketing dollars. You just don't know which ones. And we were able to, to go into many boardroom conversations and say, look, I cannot uh, sit up here and tell you in good faith that I'm going to be able to remove the uh, feeling or the opinion or the perception that we are wasting money. I said, but what I'm here to do is to help you go from feeling like we're, we're wasting 50% of the money to feeling like maybe we're wasting 10%. I said, if I can provide certainty to 90% of our investment is proving return and the other 10% is still lost in the, in the quagmire, is that good? And it's the, well, yeah, that's better than 50. And say, great, let's, let's work towards that. And let's work towards being, uh, being aware of uh, where we can measure and where we can't. And always being able to, or always being willing to raise our hand and say, we put money into trade shows. I cannot tell you last year whether that trade show in Germany paid for itself. But I can tell you that the leads that we generated from Germany following that trade show related to uh, digital ads that we sent out around it, uh, those had a great return. So maybe next year, instead of doing the show itself, let's focus on ads in Germany because I can prove one and I can't prove the other. And that's something that the C-level folks within manufacturers are speaking their language because they're used to seeing production reports. They're used to seeing the financial performance of the firm uh, boiled down to very easy to understand matrix and metrics. And so trying to uh, create those same sort of matrix and metrics for a marketing department is going to put you in the conversation with the other departments as uh, as somebody that is uh, part of the team as opposed to somebody that is part of the cost structure, part of the problem. I, I think that's that's really interesting too because and I mean you talk about going from fifty percent uncertainty to ten percent uncertainty. I would suggest that every marketer should have at least ten yep. percent uncertainty for the experiments they're running to see what actually catches and you know burns. So it 
it's certainly, a, you know, it's an interesting time where you can be testing out new initiatives and seeing if there is going to be an actual ROI with them, as opposed to, well, we're going to go drop 400 grand on this trade show and uh, cross our fingers and hope for the best. And we don't really know what our strategy is for for tracking what's going to come out yeah, of it. Yeah, and as marketers, we have some some great flexibility there. I mean, I always describe the marketing department in any business, but particularly in manufacturers, marketing is the toy department of the department store, right? We're expected to be a little off kilter. We're expected to be a little uh, experimental. We're expected to be loud. We're expected to be fun and crazy and aggressive. And that gives you a lot of chance to be able to go out and experiment, whereas other parts of the organization aren't necessarily given that same sort of leeway. And so I would say take advantage of that. That was one of the frustrations when I came to Erico was marketing was where people went to hear the word no. Marketing had somehow gone even further left than legal in terms of people you didn't want to talk to because they were going to give you the answer that they didn't want to work with you. They wouldn't help. It'd never work. And so when we came in, we said, you know what, now we're the department of yes, we're going to find a way to help you with whatever you come to us and need help with. And so being able to swing it from the, um, the, the worst place in the organization to come for help to the best place in the organization to come for help gave you a lot of flexibility in uh, how we were going about projects. Man, if marketing isn't at least the fun place to work, then what's exactly. the point? Yeah. I mean, we've always said that, you know, Clients coming to us or working with us is generally the best part of their day. Well, we'd like to think at least, but I I mean, at least it's not like being an accountant. That's right. Exactly. There's a reason I I bailed on the big buildings downtown uh, in favor of going into a marketing department because they thought of working in legal. I'm like, sure, I could could have a very lucrative uh, career, but I don't know that I'd have very much fun. And so I love the switch to to marketing and be able to talk to my former legal colleagues and uh, certainly accentuate the opportunities I've had in life that they never got to have because they were sitting in their office. Well, Chris, I can tell you that uh, one thing that the legal uh, background did give you is an ability to articulate your argument and move it forward. And I think uh, that has uh, clearly helped you in the previous roles and as well in explaining how our listeners can take advantage of some of that advice uh, to help move their own initiatives forward. So thank you so much for the conversation today. We've really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for Thanks, having Chris. me and uh, best of luck to you and all the marketers out there listening. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.